You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. To the only God who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Such we pray for people from every tribe, sinners for whom Christ Jesus came into the world, Christ Jesus, our one mediator, our only saviour. Amen. You know, as I look back on the year that we've had, I'm, I'm really thankful to God for all of you here. I really thank God for, for our deacons who care for the material needs of our church. I'm so thankful to God for our ministry team leaders and our BLT leaders who equip us to be on mission and live out the gospel together. And I'm so thankful to God for all of you here who have committed as members of this church family to serve one another in gospel grace and love. I'm so thankful for all of you. But I also look back on our year and this is that moment where you can pause and reflect and think about actually what could we have done better as well? And I look back on our year and I wonder to myself, gosh, for all the effort we've spent planting this church, have we planted it in the power of God's Spirit or have we planted it too much in the strength of our own might? Have we planted it in the power of God's Spirit or have we planted it too much in the strength of our own might? If I'm honest, in my heart of hearts, I know that we have not prayed as much as we ought. We have not prayed as much as we ought. And in many ways, I want to confess that's my personal failure. Now, I haven't led us to be a family of humble dependence on God as much as I should have. And that's something that I repent of, and I'm sorry for that. And as a church, I think we need to look ahead to the year in front of us. And I think, together, will you join me in committing to pray? Will you join me in committing for this, for our family to be a family of prayer? To grow this church, not in the strength of our might, but in the power of God's Spirit alone. You know, in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is showing us how to live as God's family. This is what he says in chapter 3, how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he opens with these words, right? He opens with these words, First of all, then, I urge that. And I wonder, if you were going to write the Bible, don't, but if you were, how would you finish that sentence? First of all, then, I urge that you preach the Word. First of all, then, I urge that you reach the lost. First of all, then, I urge that you care for the poor. No, first of all then, I urge that you pray. I urge that you pray. You see, friends, prayer must be the priority of God's people. Prayer must be the priority of God's people. But it's not just prayer for anything we want. No, it's prayer in line with God's master plan for this world. So, as we look ahead, Paul is calling us to do three things today. He's calling us to pray for all people, to pray for the salvation of all people and to pray to the one God over all people. 
If you missed that, don't worry, we're going to come back to it in turn. Because friends, we are a family under one God for all people. That's who we are, a family under one God for all people. You know, recently I was speaking with a friend of mine who said to me quite honestly, and I appreciated the honesty, he said, Adam, you know the problem with you Christians? Great conversation starter. The problem with you Christians is that you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. You're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. See, you care so much about people's salvation in the never never, but you don't seem to care about their poverty right here, right now. What about dealing with their problem now before you deal with their problem later? Now, on one level, I can sympathize with that, right? Like Christians who only talk about salvation but don't care about life in this world, let's be clear, we have no credibility. But I want you to notice that in 1 Timothy 2, Paul calls us to pray not just for our people, but for all people. Not just for our people, but for all people. In fact, he calls us to pray everything for everyone. Petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. You see, at this point, it doesn't matter whether they're Christian or not. God wants us to be praying for all people. In Genesis 9, God created all people in His image. And that means all people, Christian or not, all of us have inherent dignity, value and worth. And then in 1 Timothy 4.4, Paul says that everything created by God is good. That's not just the spiritual stuff. No, it's the physical and the material stuff as well. You see, God cares about everything for everyone. He cares about everything for everyone. So so it's perfectly right that our church should be praying for everyone affected by the coronavirus or, or devastated by the bushfires. It's right and good that we pray for people and causes that have no direct impact on us. For, for Pacific Island nations impacted by rising oceans, for, for the reforestation of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. All these things are important because there is one God over all people. There's one God over all people and God wants us to pray everything for everyone. And that includes, verse 2, kings and all those who are in authority. You know, I can't understand why you'd want to be a politician in Australia. It is probably one of the most thankless jobs in the country. Just yesterday, I was on YouTube and, as I normally do to procrastinate, was watching, of all things, the Democratic presidential candidates debate in America. That's the sort of thing that I enjoy watching about, you know, hours and hours of Bernie Sanders just screaming into a mic. And it's amazing how in that country, people almost borderline worship their political leaders. Massive rallies, but not in Australia. We don't honor them, we hate on them. But, but you know what? If anyone had a good reason to hate on their government, it was actually the Christians here in Ephesus. The, the Roman emperor, he, he was worshipped as the God. But more than that, he was actually persecuting the church. You see, if, if you were a Christian back in Ephesus, you would look at the emperor, at the Caesar, and you would see public enemy number one. And yet, and yet, Paul says, pray for him. Better yet, give thanks for him. Because there's one God over all people, and that includes the king. 
You see, it's one of those things about prayer, right? Prayer puts all people in the same position. Prayer puts all people in the same position. It doesn't matter whether you're a king or a criminal, a prince or a peasant. When we pray, all of us come before the throne of the one true God. God wants us to pray everything for everyone. And that includes kings and all those who are in authority. So, it's good and right that we're praying for our government. We should be praying for our prime minister. We should be praying for leaders around the world. We should be praying that they will govern with righteousness and justice. Not for our self-interest, but for the good of all people and for the glory of God. You know, in the early 20th century, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, I knew that's not how you start a sentence, right? In the early 20th century, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands was a man named Abraham Kuyper. He was also a deeply thoughtful and thoroughly godly man. I want you to hear what he wrote. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Everything in this world, every square inch of this world, belongs to Jesus. Why do we pray for all people? Why do we pray everything for everyone? Because Christ is king over all people. Because there is one God over all people. What life do you want to live? Have you ever thought about that? Just stop for a moment and thought, okay, over the next 20 years, what life do I want to live? What do you aspire to? Despite to an easy job, a husband with three kids and a life of comfort and security. A quiet life. One that where I won't disturb many people, but I'll just, you know, mind my own business. Because if you do, you're going to love the next part of verse 2. So we pray for kings and all those in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. I mean, that's the best news ever, right? Friends, God wants you to live a quiet and peaceful life where you can be godly in the small things, where you don't have to sacrifice too much and just be quietly faithful. Wrong. Dead wrong. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Words to live by. Friends, why are we praying for our government to rule with peace and justice? What's the point of it all? This is the reason. It's so that we as the church can be a visible model of God's master plan for this world. We're not praying for freedom. We're praying for freedom to live as God's family. Now, now let me be clear. That's not a question of rights. It's not so that we can sort of maliciously discriminate against other people or do whatever we want. No, no, we pray for freedom so that everyone in this world can see a picture of God's master plan for the world. We want to pray for right, peaceful conditions so that our non-Christian friends can actually walk in here each Sunday and go, wow, that is God's master plan for this whole world. And that master plan is marked by one word, godliness. Godliness. You see, friends, if you're holding on to that dream 
of a comfortable middle-class life with three kids at private school and a big house in the eastern suburbs. And that's the, that's the sum total of it, right? That's where it starts and stops. That's your dream. Burn it. Get a better dream. Because we Christians that live as God's people in this world, we're to cast a vision of a family, a people that is otherworldly. You see, our life together as a church is to be marked by radical sacrifice that makes this whole world just stop and stare. You know, we want to pray for a society in which all people can't ignore how different we are. We have different priorities, different values. We have a different king. We are the model, not of this world, no, of God's master plan for the world. So pray. Pray for all people. Pray that, yes, they'll have a good life in this world, but my gosh, don't stop there. Pray that we might show them a picture of a better life in the next. Pray that, that, that they may, whether they be a king or a criminal, a, a peasant or a prince, they will find a place in this family. Because, friends, we are a family under one God for all people. Under one God for all people. Do you remember that friend who said to me, Adam, you, you Christians, you're all just too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good? Well, not long after seeing him, I developed a splitting headache. Not, not because of him, but just happened to be the case. So, so I went to see my doctor. And in typical GP fashion, he said nothing was wrong, gave me a Panadol and sent me home with an $80 consultation fee. But what if something was wrong? What instead of a mere headache, I actually had a brain tumor? What if, for that brain tumor, all my GP prescribed was an off-the-shelf Panadol that doesn't even require a prescription? He would be treating the symptom, but not the sickness. You see, he might alleviate my immediate pain, but he hasn't dealt with my underlying problem. Adam, you Christians, you're all just too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. But if we are too earthly-minded, we will never be of any heavenly good. We will treat the symptom, but not the sickness. Alleviate momentary pain, but not cure the underlying problem. You see, God wants us to pray not just for all people, not just for the good of all people. No, He wants us to pray for the salvation of all people. The salvation of all people. That's why verse 3 once again uh, calls God our Saviour. And verse 4 tells us that God, isn't this a wonderful passage? God wants everyone to be saved. There is one God over all people. There is one Savior for all people. What do we do here at church? What's our mission? Why don't we prioritize or elevate or make primary causes like social justice, climate action, or, or gender equality? It's not because they're not important, actually. They're good causes. And in fact, if we as a church are to be the model of God's master plan for this world, a picture of the world to come, we actually need to care about everything for everyone. That stuff matters. But if social justice is our primary agenda, 
We are merely dispensing Panadol to treat a brain tumour. We misdiagnose the problem, and so we misprescribe the cure. And the cure is this, verse 4, the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth, the gospel. That, that message that so, it was so beautifully summed up in chapter 1, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the cure. That's the prescription to our great problem. It's why we pray for Matt and Kate Vinicombe, who are proclaiming that gospel to Indigenous Australians on Groot Island. Because God wants them to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is why we pray for Ridley College, which trains people to proclaim the gospel right here in Melbourne, because God wants our city to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, if all we do is care for people's earthly needs, we are simply providing a luxury car on a highway to hell. One of the great preachers of the 20th century was a former medical doctor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. I know we have a few doctors and med students in the house right here. I want you to listen to what he said when he was asked, why did you quit medicine to become a preacher? And this is what he said, look at it on the screen. As doctors, we spend most of our time rendering people fit to go back to their sin. If a man has a diseased body and his soul is all right, he's all right to the end. But a man with a healthy body and a diseased soul is all right for 60 years or so, and then he has to face an eternity of hell. Ah, yes. We have sometimes to give up those which are good for that which is the best of all, the joy of salvation and newness of life. Next time you see a GP, ask him that. Don't just pray for the good of all people. Pray for the salvation of all people. Why? Because God, our Savior, He wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, let's be clear. That, that doesn't mean that God wants every single individual in the world to be saved because, firstly, what God wants, God wills. So He'll always accomplish what He desires. And secondly, not everyone, obviously, in our world is or will be saved. What's this verse saying? It's saying that God wants people from every tribe to be saved. That God is choosing a family for himself by calling out people from every tribe, people, language, and nation. That, that's why in verse 7, Paul calls himself a teacher of the Gentiles. He shares God's heart for every nation. Friends, the good news is this. It's no longer the case that only Jews are part of God's family. The doors are now open to people from every tribe. The doors are open to all people. Whether you're from Glen Waverley or Groot Island, Sindel or Sri Lanka, the doors are open to you. Jesus Christ is the one king over all people. And Paul invites us to pray for the salvation of all people, to pray that all our world will know love and live for Jesus. But why this God? I mean, why pray to Him? There are like 
4,200 other religions in this world. Why pray to the God of the Bible? Well, for one simple reason. There is only one God and there is only one way to Him. There is only one God and there is only one way to Him. I remember a number of years ago traveling through Malaysia and our car stopped for a rest break and by the side, in the middle of nowhere, we saw this small shrine. So we walked up to it to check it out, see what was there. And on that shrine, I've never seen anything like this, right? On that shrine was a stone Buddha. To, to its left was a Jewish star of David. It's right, an ancient Chinese god, then a picture of Mary, a statue of the Hindu god Shiva, and I think a picture of Obi-Wan Kenobi as well. See, whoever set up this shrine, what was he doing? What was she doing? They, they were hedging their bets, weren't they? Hedging their bets just in case. I know, for those of you who read 1 Timothy and are a little bit ahead in your Bibles are, you know, salivating at the thought of what, what are we going to say next week? Because next, next week in 1 Timothy 2, in the second half, that's the super controversial part of this letter. No, it's not. This is the controversial part. This is the most controversial statement in 1 Timothy. And here it is. With all respect, our Muslim friends are not correct. Our Hindu friends are not correct. Our Buddhist friends are not correct. Our atheist friends are not correct. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 2, verse 5. He's echoing that great claim to exclusivity in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why pray to this God? Because He is the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Or put it another way, who else are you going to pray to? Who else are you going to call? See, friends, if you're not a Christian, this is the news you really need to hear. There is one God over all people, so there is one problem for all people. There's one God over all people, so there's one problem for all people. You see, all of us, whatever our culture, tribe or background, we all have the same problem. We are separated from the one true God. And because of our sin, none of us, not one of us can approach Him. No ifs, no buts, no exceptions. All of us are separated from God and we are unable to pay the price of admission. All of us are estranged from God and we are unable to pay the price of forgiveness. Psalm 49 says that no amount of money can redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. Why? Since the price of redeeming us is too costly. Our sin is too deep. Our problem too big. Our debt too great. One God over all people. One problem for all people. But, 
Because there is one God over all people, there is one Savior for all people. You see, all of us, whatever our culture, tribe, or background, we all have the same solution. Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom, a payment for absolutely everyone who will trust in him. Because of Jesus, all of us can come to God. No ifs, no buts, no exceptions. There is only one God and one way to him. You see, if you want to know the one true God of this world, whatever your story, whatever your tribe, you can. You can. If only you come through the one mediator, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Our sin that was too deep, our problem that was too big, our debt that was too great, not deep enough, not big enough, not great enough for Jesus because Jesus paid it all. He was a human just like us and he stood in our place and paid it at the cost of his own life. He died as a substitute and settled our debt with God. You see, if you're not a Christian, the one true God, he wants to forgive you this day. He wants to save you. He wants to adopt you into his family and all you have to do is trust him. That's all you have to do, trust him. It's awfully sad. I see so many people around this world grasping for God. It's as if they are groping in the dark for the one true God but looking everywhere other than the one true saviour. They look for God in a monk, a saint, an institution, an idol, an ancestor or a ritual, but they do not look at Jesus. He is the one mediator. He is the only true saviour. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. See, friends, that's why we pray to this God. For there is one God. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. For there is one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. How else will we approach the throne of God above? Only through Jesus. So pray. Pray for all people. Pray for the salvation of all people. Pray to the one God over all people. I don't know what your prayer life is like. Maybe you're a bit like me and honestly somewhat ashamed of your prayerlessness. Let me tell you about a young man called Robert Murray McShane. He was a Presbyterian pastor back in the early 19th century. And he lived until just 29 years old. Some of you here are that age. 29 years old. And I want you to hear what this young man, who could have been one of you, declared in his mid-twenties. Mid-twenties. This is what he said. What a man is alone and on his knees before God. That he is and no more. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is, 
and no more. And you might think to yourself, my gosh, then I ain't much. Look at what else he says. I think I can say I have never risen a morning without thinking how I could bring more souls to Christ. He goes on. As I was walking in the fields, the thought came over me with almost overwhelming power that every one of my flock must soon be in heaven or hell. 29. 29. Friends, do we share that prayerful passion for the salvation of all people? Do we pray in line with God's desire for everyone to be saved? As we look ahead, I wonder, church, will you join me in committing to be a church for all people? A church that prays for the salvation of all people. You know, I think that much praying is not done simply because we do not plan to pray. So why not do this? Why not carve out of your diary just 10 minutes each night to plead with God for the salvation of many? You know, in our church, we always prioritize reading the Bible one-to-one with people. But here's another idea. Why not meet with another brother or sister once a week or once a fortnight to do nothing else but pray? And four times this year, Our church is going to suspend all BLT small groups in the week so that our whole church might gather as one family for a night of prayer and praise to the one and only true God. So, first of all then, God urges us to pray. Pray for all people. Pray for the salvation of all people. Pray to the one God over all people. So why don't we do just that? Let's pray. To the only God who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Such we pray for people from every tribe. Sinners for whom Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus our one mediator and only saviour. Amen.